Welcome to Sexuality and a podcast all about sexuality and how it surrounds us. This week, we are continuing our education episode, Sexuality and Education, continuing from last week, and we have such a great show for you today. We are so lucky to be joined by Brittany Brathwaite and Kimberly Huggins, the co-founders of Kimberative. They're doing awesome work in the fields of sexuality education, and we're super excited to have them here. So, welcome to Sexuality and, guys! Thanks for having us. Of course. First of all, like, tell us what Kimberative is. Tell us what, what you're up to. I think it's our, our brainchild, so to speak. Um, we've been doing this together for so many years, and I think within the last year or so, we've been, we decided to brand ourselves and kind of put a name to the work that we've been doing in communities where we work with young, adolescent, young adolescents, girls, after-school programs, and we kind of meshed our names together to make Kimberative. Yeah. And mm-hmm. our goal is to pretty much normalize healthy conversations about sexual health and reproductive justice because we feel like that's a gateway to education and being more comfortable talking about these things with your peers and other people. How, how did you guys get started? Mm-hmm. How do you two know each other? And- yeah. So we went to college together, um, and we both were part of this, uh, like, this like campus org mm-hmm. called Sex Symbols. And we were in leadership of the org, and we literally used to, like, uh, figure out what we were doing during our work-study job. So, like, we walked, we worked across the hall from each other, so I would just, like, slide in Kim's office, like, <laughs> oh, what are we doing today? Right. Um, and we built out a whole agenda while we were on the clock. Um, <laughs> that's what you have to do to make your dreams work is like how can I turn this Listen, that was yeah. work in studying Absolutely. Yeah. how can I use <laughs> you... my 15 minute break <laughs> exactly <laughs> hell yeah um, and so we that's how we like got started and like facilitating workshops and we both when we graduated when we went to grad school I think we both were missing something in our grad school life like we were both studying like sexual and reproductive health stuff but it was we weren't doing the same kind of work and we weren't engaged with the same kind of communities so we like sat down one day. Actually, I sent Kim a workshop. Like I wanted to apply to a conference, and I didn't have the time to do it. And you were like in Ohio somewhere, and I was like Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Like, That's where you were. Yeah. What's the difference, really? <laughs> I'm like, yo, we need to apply to this. Can you fill out all of these questions? Um, and I was like, this. <laughs> she made a whole Google Doc told like 12 stories I think there's some Bible verses in there uh, so much it was like a brain dump for me like on that back um, and we built our first workshop it was uh, how to be a fly girl first love yourself um, oh. as a result and then we've taken it from there mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. What did that, so what it first love yourself, what did that look like? Like, what it was it? I think when we were putting our brains together about what that looked like, we kind of wanted to center the 16-year-old versions of ourselves. Because speaking from myself, I never really had, mm-hmm. like, sexual education at all. For mm-hmm. me, that only became a thing when one of our classmates got pregnant. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, how oh, do we, right. we need to, like, talk about this? Because it's an epidemic, although it was, like, one person. Mm-hmm. So... That's, that was the, my introduction to it. And it wasn't from a place of, like, conversation about relationships. It was, a, it was about, well, pregnancy. We got to get rid of it. Yeah, so it we crisis. always... Right, crisis. So we were right. thinking about the 16-year-old versions of ourselves. Where how do I... 
as a young person where I'm getting all these messages about how I'm supposed to be as a young woman from, from music, from popular culture, how do I define myself? Like, how do I think about relationships? How do I identify what's healthy versus unhealthy? I don't know. And that's kind of like the framework that we started to build off for, for how to be a fly girl. Oh, that's wonderful. Is it ever difficult for you guys to put yourselves back in your teenage selves? And when you're working with teenagers, do you feel like a reconnection with them? Or is it is there um, like a chasm between you guys? Or how easy is it for you guys to access either your teenage selves or other teenage selves? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think just speaking for myself, I think that yeah. it's a practice. Like it's yeah. something that you actively have to do. Um I find like every time we do a workshop, we learn new language or what's yeah. being used, and or like words take on different meanings than what sure. we're used to. Um, and so it's really like it's also like a class you take, like you like in there doing this workshop, like write that down, we gotta go <laughs> study that thing. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I feel like when a lot of adults think about teenagers, they have this horrible image of them <laughs> that they're they don't want education, that they don't want to have these conversations, they're rebellious, um, and they have such a problem thinking about themselves as teens and thinking about teens as really amazing people. So, I mean, like, kudos to you. It sounds like you're having amazing conversations with them. Yeah, we actually, like, push, I think my favorite thing to do is push back on adults. Mm -hmm. Like, those yes. are my favorite yeah. workshops. <laughs> Um, I feel like we presented like six or seven or eight you of them. You gotta tell the Cali story. Please tell the Cali yes. story. <laughs> um, so basically like one of our workshops is designed on like teaching how to be a fly girl and like we, Kim and I use music to start all of our workshops and we do not use censored music at all. We have all the language, all of the things because it's the way young people are consuming. Yeah. Um, and we often get pushback around people who want us to like either censor the language, offer quote-unquote positive, like, experiences. I'm like, we're not going to play India RV the whole time. We can't do that. Yeah. She kills that whole like, That's also not what they're listening to. Yeah. Um, and so we get questions around, like, there was one particular moment about, like, Nicki Minaj mm -hmm. and, like, uh, Nicki's appearance around, like, mm -hmm. her ass and, like, the kind of... Are we allowed to curse? Yeah. yeah or, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay.
that's back in what before I was probably born. So what's why do we often feel like this has been birth in the past ten years? It hasn't been right. Mm-hmm. It's so bad these days, and oh, these right. days, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's this. It it is this total cognitive dissonance of like being completely unable to like get to your teenage self mm-hmm. and what you were listening to and interested in. Yeah. Well, also like. N- what I think is, like, most interesting about Nikki and even Beyonce is, like, they're giving, like, women of color and young women of color agency over their own bodies. And I think that's what people are often scared about. Like, when Nikki Minaj is talking about her ass, but, like, Taylor Swift is talking about her, like, like why are we so against Nikki talking about her ass, but we're okay with, like, Taylor exploring her sexual and romantic experiences through her songs? Because she's also a white woman. Exactly. Right? That's, yeah. that's what I'm about to say. Like, Whiteness yeah. gives you the privilege to do all the things. Yeah. And then, like, not ever have to explain it. Or, yeah. You know? One specific thing from Health Fast during Sex Ed was you got paired up with the boy and you had to, um, like, decide on, like, how to, like, financially, like, parse through things when you have a kid. And we were, so we were like, okay, we have a baby. And then they're like, okay, now draw a photo of your baby. And I grab a brown crayon and it was a white boy and he goes, no. <laughs> and I was like, I am sorry. I'm what pretty sure I understand I'm this like, more than I'm you like, do. I'm like, listen, I don't understand how to most things sexually, but I know my baby will be brown. <laughs> like, like if it's coming together, yeah, I'm like, it doesn't brown. matter. Like I'm like, I'm Indian. It's gonna at least. Be, and I was like, well, you want a lighter brown? Like <laughs> it's still gonna be brown. But yeah, that was like one specific like sex ed thing yeah. where like he was like, no, yeah, because sexuality to me personally, and like I wanted to ask about this, like. Uh, it's different within different races and, and and how you're viewed as like a as like a sexual person. If you're a person of different color, like you are perceived just differently, and you are allowed to you are a quote unquote allowed to do different things than a white person. Mm-hmm. Meaning you are allowed to do less things. Right. <laughs> like speaking as right, a person like, of color, white people even have. To yeah, exactly. Them. Like like what do you guys do? I mean, they love missionary lights off, uh, <laughs> and they fight hell for like yeah. abortion rights or something. Must be like <laughs> happening. Yeah. Where is this? Where is it? Yeah, and it's like I I wanted to know basically like, uh, or I'm just like curious like how do we what is like the best way to approach this in an educational sense. Like, how do we teach young people that, like, the world is not ready for people of color sexuality as much as people want to, like, bank off of these songs and go to, like, your, like, rap concerts and shit like that. Like, for some reason, when you go out into this, like, world as a sexual being, like, we are viewed differently. I think one of our workshops that we created were, was focused for adults more so. I was standing up in a crooked room workshop. Mm-hmm. We, we really wanted to kind of help. Well, standing up in a crooked room is like a segment, so to speak, from Dr. Melissa Harris Perry's book, um, Sister Citizen, mm-hmm. to get the other piece of the semicolon right mm-hmm. now. But um, yeah, we, we really wanted to help young people define themselves in objection of what society says that they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to behave, how they're mm-hmm. supposed to present. And I think in doing that, that's how we are able to add the education piece because we bring in things like lyrics from Nicki Minaj yeah. or any like any like popular culture song or images or memes. We bring that into the space mm-hmm. as a as a starting point for education. Like, what does this image say? Like, what do you take from that? How does that make you feel? Like, that's those are the the conversations that we wish to craft around sexuality and healthy relationships because mm-hmm. we think that's makes it normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We look at memes we retweet it all day, but sometimes like what is the meme saying? Like yeah, right. I remember we one time when our like brainstorming session we were talking about the meme that was going around with um what was it, Ike Turner and Tina Turner mm-hmm. about like him like obviously being really yes. whatever have you. And that's a meme that's shared all the time. Like we laugh, but it's like what's the, what's behind that? 
And I think that's the starting piece of like mm-hmm. healthy relationships. Yeah. Like, something is not really safe here mm-hmm. or healthy here. And I think I think for in, in terms of like like even talking about people of color and the sexuality of people of color is that there there are conversations that happen right so like a lot of like coming from prevention world where there's like STI preventions that are always targeted at uh, people of color right um, and specifically I wouldn't say Black and Latino people mm-hmm. because on the other side of that are people that are like Asian mm-hmm. or South Asian it's almost like desexualized or asexualized definitely right? yeah um, I've worked with a group of girls who were like yeah we have sex programs sex ed programs at our school but you know they never ever choose us because they don't think we have sex mm-hmm. um and i'm like wow just based on you being like identifying as asian or being mm-hmm. south asian like you literally don't even get to ha- you don't get included in the program because you're not seen as at risk mm-hmm. right oh. and so something about like some groups are being at risk at risk for what yeah exactly right. like if we can't say sexuality is normal right and it's something that we should like that people practice or do mm-hmm. um or have right how what what exactly are you at risk and how much more than other people? Which would make you think, like, I'm serious, do white people have sex? <laughs> because I have yet to see an intervention for a white person. Yeah. Yeah. Where they at? <laughs> it's um, true though, yeah. And so but, even in the ways we try to help, like, we also do damage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like but I feel like so much sex ed even that's like targeted that's that's very specifically like about the high risk at risk like urban youth whatever is like still designed for white people it's designed on like research based on white people's problems but it like targets people of color but it's not actually effective and like so and and that's one of yeah that's and it's also not about sex like yeah you could see yeah. the whole thing it's like don't get pregnant like these it's like the deep like it's depoliticized like behavioral control or behavioral change yeah. right mm-hmm. like we want you to change this behavior that you're doing mm-hmm. but like we haven't talked to you about sex period yeah right? we just talked yeah. to you about using condoms that's it oh yeah what? right For just what? like a list yeah. of yeah. don'ts <laughs> like, yeah. don't do yeah. this yeah yeah go don't. into the world now yeah <laughs> yeah but don't do that yeah. <laughs> and don't do that right but i mean and if you really get down to it like the things that like some youth experience is like if we don't even think about why sex may be an option for them or an experience of joy or like you know whatever like why are adult people having sex yeah like right. it feels good right <laughs> so i mean yeah. where's that yeah oh, wow. damn i will say that you are like the first people that i've talked to that I'd, like has openly been like yes like asian people are desexualized because like my dating experience have been people being like very surprised that i'm like as sexually active as i am as a south asian person yeah because they're like you're so tiny and i will dominate and I'm like, no, I'm a power bottom. <laughs> I got this I guy. Got this. <laughs> what drove you guys to sexuality education and to into doing this work? Like, you know, it seems like you guys kind of just kind of like picked up running. Yeah, like what what really like motivated you to get involved with this work? For me, it, it stems from like a personal loss. I lost my uncle actually oh, almost six years. Almost mm-hmm. seven lot of years actually but I lost my uncle to HIV um my freshman year of college and that was like a really traumatic time for me because you know that was one of the first times that I've ever known someone to have HIV and I didn't find out about it until he was kind of on his dying bed because he was afraid to talk about it so he was with the stick the stigma and it kind of opened my eyes to this this whole world of of the of the illness and at the time I was also interested in um Years later, I became like a McNair scholar at my university, and that was like the primary interest behind my research. And it just opened my eyes to so much, and it's like stigma, disparities, all these different things. And 
I think that's what propelled me was that loss because I wish he he wasn't afraid to talk about it because mm -hmm. stigma was a thing. Um, and people didn't know how to deal with it because we have our own ideas of what HIV looks like. How do you get it? It's this, that, yeah. it's that. So yeah. that kind of propelled me into sexual health. And then meeting up with Brittany, doing sex symbols work, it just opened my eyes to all the different angles of sexual reproductive health. So, yeah. 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 Um, and for me, similarly, it was, it was personal. I was like 17 and there was an HIV testing unit on the corner of my block. And I remember, like, all I saw was free Metro card. And I was like, uh, I'm going somewhere this weekend. <laughs> um, and so I just wandered aimlessly into the testing, like, you know, vehicle. And the person that is um, administering the test was asking me all the, you know, preliminary questions. Like, are you at risk? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what are you talking about? I really just want this Metro card. <laughs> um, and, you know, she was like, I need to test you. And I'm like, okay, for what? <laughs> you know, and she like, you know, she asked me, and like, are you at risk for HIV? And I was like, well, what makes you at risk? And the fact that I didn't know, yeah, like, right. I had no idea. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I was sexually active. And I, and I used condoms, but like not at like how I was supposed to. Um, and I didn't see that I was at risk. And so I, you know, I left the truck, I, I got a negative test, but like, I really felt so robbed that like no one had, you know, sat down and explained to me and like HIV education has been mandated in New York state since the early nineties, right? Like late eighties. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't somehow made it all the way through school and like no one had ever said any of this to me. And so when I went to college, actually the year that I entered college, HIV and AIDS, HIV was a leading cause of death for black women in the United States. And so I was like, oh no, this this could have been me. This about to yeah. be me. <laughs> I have to do something about it. Yeah. And then sex symbols. That was wow. my Damn, that Well, I mean, that's why it's so amazing that you are having workshops with adults because I think one of the reasons that sex education is like shirked in schools is because no one feels comfortable talking about it. No one knows how to talk about it. So it's, it's remarkable that you're doing it with young people so that they can grow up feeling comfortable with it. But it's also really remarkable that you're doing it with adults to, like, provide that intervention for them, being like, this, get comfortable with it. Like, yeah. it's so important. It's not just your comfort. It's, like, the young people you have in your lives. Yeah. And I think one of our, one of our other one of our workshops that we have called Pearls and Condoms is for... I would say young adults, adults in general, um, we kind of probe the adults in the room, like, tell us about, like, your sexual health regimen. And you'd be surprised how many older adults are afraid to answer these questions or don't have an answer for it. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like, hmm, here right. we are. Right. It's so <laughs> right. true, though. I, like, every person I see, I'm like, when was the last time you got tested? Do you have, like, a photo on your phone of, like, your <laughs> test results? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, I do because I have no idea who the fuck you are. And I usually don't sleep with people who I know. So, like, here's my test result. That's so smart yeah. of me. Because I've been yeah. doing a bit that's, like, it's not easy being easy. My, like, bill out my hair is really racking up. <laughs> oh, bless you. Yeah. You, but most people don't people you know don't what they're doing. About, yeah. People don't think about their sexual health for all different reasons. Yeah. Right. But especially once you get into, like, a monogamous relationship, people are, like, or what people think is a monogamous relationship, they're, like, bye to any, like, sense of, prote like, protection is something for, like, young single people or whatever. But it's not something we have to worry about as we get older. Mm -hmm. But it totally is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the rates of, like, HIV and STIs in nursing homes. Really? Out of control. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did not know this. Control. I, 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 I 
I wish I had stats memorized right now. But <laughs> that was like my like master's thesis. It's talking about oh like God. the graying of HIV. I, I believe in 2015, yeah, in 2015, the largest population of people who were affected or living with HIV were people 50 and older. Wow. Yeah. And it's, 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 a, it's a, in response to, you know, better medication because people are able to live long. So those folks who are, um, who be, um, became transmitted back in the day they're living long so now they're adults right well, how, how does like sexual health education look like for 50 plus year olds who are thinking i'm not going to get pregnant like yeah. you're 60 you're grown you're well, smart i don't gotta worry exactly. about right, right. Yeah. when and that's that's why there's a rise yeah when they were younger it was it was basically just condoms mm-hmm. and those were and that was just to prevent stis or that was just to prevent prevent pregnancy rather so now they're like we're not worried about getting pregnant, exactly. Like many of them have had like a part, a long term partner die, mm-hmm. or like once you hit the hit mid, like around sixty, like that's when you start like getting into those things. And people, yeah, it's this, it's the second after eighteen to twenty four year olds, the second highest rate of wow. any any STI transmission is the fifty uh, five plus. Yeah, it's wild, yeah. and and people ignore it because uh, talking about another group that's seen as asexual. <laughs> yeah, like, they like they're not getting it in. Oh, yeah, at least they're getting it. Like honestly, yeah, do you think? So do you think like the person you are right now, you're suddenly gonna hit sixty and be like, sex, not interested, never just again. Bonbons <laughs> and daytime television. <laughs> honestly, at the rate I'm going at now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Artie. we're all pulling for you, Artie. Oh, yeah, we're all, I will Facebook we're all, person. We're all pulling for you. <laughs> um. So I know that your your sex education really does center young people of color. Um, do you think that sex education currently um, is um, serving young people of color at all? Is it missing the boat? Um, what is motivating you guys to like focus on young people of color specifically? I, I still think sex ed for all young people, period, is absent and missing. Um, I think that young people of color in particular are, like, facing so many, like, forms of systemic oppression, right? I think leading sexual healthy lives shouldn't be one of them, right? Like, that should just be a given. You got that. You have all the other stuff you have to deal with. Um, so the, I think that we are seeking justice for them in this way, that, like, yeah. at least this is the, the, the minimum that you get, the ability to lead a sexually healthy life. Um, and I feel like for like with all the other things that many um, for for young people of color around the country and like not to say that many times socioeconomic status and like race overlap um, but they're already in some people at least the schools we work in are underserved in mm-hmm. terms of like math science art whatever yeah um, and so sex ed is not even on the it's yeah. it's nowhere to right. be found so like far off it's not me. a thing. Um, and then just thinking about the ways, and, and not just for young people of color, I'd even say like for queer, for queer youth or gender non-conforming youth that deserve a sex ed that includes them, right? So like scenarios, like using names that are recognizable, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. not Sally and Jen, who the hell yeah. are they? Um, <laughs> um, or like you use, asking young people what their pronouns are or how like they, they would like to be referred to, or every scenario is not about a boy and a girl yeah. that have sex, like all types of people have sex, so even presenting that, like I think that we could change the ways in which young people even, you know, like what homophobia looks like in the, in the hallway if we decided to include them in the stories that we tell in our classrooms mm-hmm. um, to normalize that, right? Like, these are the people that you see and, like, we're going to say this and they have sex. So you're not curious about it. You're not, yeah. like, thinking, like, oh, what's butt sex? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right, like, yeah. that is, like, you know, you're not going to be, you know, we know you on the internet at nighttime watching it anyway. Right. <laughs> so 
We're just gonna like right. replace Pornhub and tell you what it's really about, right? So yeah. I, I think that it, it's really trying to like not just not just to only center young people of color, but to like actually name their experiences and in a real way that like actually speaks to them and makes it real. Because I feel like even so much of education is disconnected from their lived experiences. Yeah. I have been wanting to ask this all night. Can you guys talk about, like, a really inspiring conversation you've had with a young person or, like, a, just the most inspiring conversation you've seen occur between young people in a workshop you've done? I think most recently we, we um, facilitated a gender justice curriculum at a high school in Brooklyn, and I remember we administered the, what's it, the reverse... Um, heterosexual privilege checklist. Oh, the yeah, the heter- oh, the heterosexual yeah. privilege checklist. Um, and just kind of hearing, just kind of hearing their responses to some of the statements and like their personal experiences with someone saying. I remember one young person we were talking to. She was saying that like in my family, like I can't be my my authentic self for whatever reason that might be. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it just was like it just hit home for me in a, another layer that I was happy that we were able to give this space for this person to just talk yeah. and talk about the love that they have for people and, and without yeah. feeling afraid to say it. So. To recognize an authentic self in the yeah. first place. Yeah. 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 I think also when I feel like there's always like in, in measuring like the resistance to learning about sexuality and like this is really focused on gender justice and looking at like diverse sexuality, diverse gender identities and representation. And so when we first meet them, they're like, we're talking about what? Right. Like, yeah. Y'all didn't tell us. Right. We're going to be learning about the gays. Um, okay. Surprise! <laughs> start the class off and let them learn definitions they and they got really into it especially as we started to teach them about like how gender roles and things were created or mm-hmm. um how the shit is completely made up Absolutely, um, yeah and i think what was that we had a young person who was often seemed a lot like very resistant in our classes um and she would sometimes withdraw but we did this lgbt history uh timeline and she was like, when it was time to take them down, she was like, no, we have to keep this up for the rest of the class, for the rest of the school to see, um, especially the part around um, trans women of color who had been murdered in mm-hmm. the year 2016. And so that really like spoke to me in the like, not just the ability to see change inside themselves, but the the wanting, the like for them to want their, their peers who were not in our programming to also experience mm-hmm. that. Um, and that just had my heart in the feelings. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah because... I mean, the work you're doing is just so, like, it just spreads, you know, and it's so transformative for these young people, and it's yeah, just really remarkable. <laughs> how, how long are each of these workshops? Are they, like, a day? How many schools do you work with? What other kinds of populations do you work with besides schools? So we've been um, on college campuses. Mm-hmm. We've worked with... Um, after-school programs, and that's pretty much like our, but we also do lots of different conferences, and that's been like the bulk of our work for the beginning of Kimberdiv, I would say, um, getting our feet out there. Um, So those are the kind of the groups that we've been working with, so pretty much conference attendees, young people, or college-age folks. Yeah, and I think workshops depend on like what Mm -hmm. the need is. I think a typical workshop is like two hours, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and if it's like full immersion, like what we did in the fall where we were like there every single week or sometimes it's like a one off or like, you know, we come two or three times. Um, but it, it, 
It depends. Yeah. It changes. Yeah. And so you'll like design a workshop specifically for whatever setting you're going into. Mm-hmm. Do you, you have some like kind of canned workshops or kind of like workshops that you have like ready to go? Right. And then so you we, have others that you design for places. Right. Like for example, last last year. 2016, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, so long. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so last year, we worked with a uh, program that works with uh, fifth graders, I would say. And we they were able to tell us, like, some of the issues that they were experiencing with the young people that they work with. And we, in turn, designed two workshops in correspondence to what they were dealing with. And yeah. we got to talk about puberty, which I felt like... I feel like that was a thing too. I feel like when I like I met sex ed in college, right? So there were always there was already assumptions about like you already know that even for high school. Mm-hmm. But when we did our fifth grade workshop and it was like, How do you put on a pad? And we're oh like, my gosh. Oh, you just you just don't know that. Like, and there was some girls who were already like menstruating. Yeah, they didn't know. know. So wow. it was very like that was also a touchy moment. Like yeah. they circled around us, and I was, it was like very like <laughs> Kim is holding the panty and we're like putting it on. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was a thing too, and I it, it also required you to like go back like oh no you just don't wake up knowing how to do this like totally. you had to learn yeah. at some point. Yeah. I got a book. That's how I learned how to do it. Got a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a book too, yeah. and I was like using a tampon. I was like. Where does it go in? Yeah, I didn't use a tampon until college. I wasn't allowed to use tampons. Right. That's another layer. That's a layer. (laughs) It's it's hard to put yourself back to, like, learn the things that, like, especially those things that we learned so young that, like, you do. You forget that you didn't just, like, wake up knowing it one day. Like, all of the turmoil of, like, having to, like, learn how to use X, Y, and Z is, is, uh, it's tough. What's been a big a challenge that you guys have faced in starting and, and doing doing your work? Hmm. Um, sometimes appearing young, like mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, we just we look real good, right? Honestly, um, yeah, you guys, <laughs> I will. I if I were to see in my classroom, be like, I will trust everything you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was a time like we went to like we were facilitating the workshop and like we went to open the door and people didn't not take like. They were like, no, you can't come in. No, like, you know, the workshop hasn't begun. I'm like, we are leading the workshop. We are. Um, and so, like, I feel like that's, you know. Taking me back to that um, Or, like, we're, you know, <laughs> we're in the hallway one day. We're going to take a certain staircase. And we're told that we can't take that staircase because they think we're students of the, the school. Wow. Um, and I think that that, yeah. that that places us in a very interesting position because we get to learn about, like, how, you know, young people experience yeah. the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. school, we were just in. They had metal detectors. Every time I went there, I was harassed. I had to take off my bracelets, take off my sneakers. Um, and it, it was because we were young. So, like, we still met that very, you know, thing. And it didn't help that Kim and I showed with, like, I showed up with purple hair one time to a workshop, <laughs> like, bright lipstick, yeah. like, you know, all of the things that actually, like, get people in their feelings. And it's like, why yeah. do you feel this way about our kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that we know less, you know? Yeah. Um, the workshop starts, like, as soon as you walk through the door, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we we're taking notes. Yeah, <laughs> I think when we first started out, I was mentioning to you before, like we we didn't we just were doing it because it's something that we just love to do. And we're gonna go to conferences, and they'd be like, "Oh, so what company do you work for?" And it's all and like I think in retrospect now, it's like, "Oh, like you we we'll give you the authority to like be a sex educator or whatever because you're affiliated with this mm. organization or whatever have you." And I think, you know, in kind of like a mm, f you type of thing that was like the inspiration for us to be like no 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 we're gonna put a name to the work that we do yeah. and separate us from everything else because this is what we do 
leaving, you know, taking a sick day to do a workshop. Like, literally, yeah. that's what we right. used to do because that's something that we love to do. And we weren't getting paid for it <laughs> at all. Yeah. We were going to debt. Like, oh, how much is that flight to Cali? $600. Okay. Oh, we yeah. out. Um, <laughs> but we, it was really passion-driven when we started. And that was also a thing that even to be able to name it as, like, a business and name it as, and name it as such and, like, ask, like, even know what we were worth in terms of, like, what we were providing was hard like it was hard and still is hard it's a hard thing to navigate yeah I mean in addition to talking about like a traditionally taboo subject you guys are also your own bosses like it's essentially like freelancing and that is not an easy type of work it is so much hustling it's so much I, I mean it's you too it's like <laughs> It's like, it's, so, it's you so, two, yeah. the band. It's like, like Bono. You're like but... Bono on the Edge. Is that his name? I think, I think, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. So do you, and is that something you feel like you experience more with like the adult, like, do you find that a challenge with the students? Like, do you, being, feeling like students per- perceive you as close in age or, or is it mostly just like a challenge with like adults kind of like putting up their like oh this can't be you well I, I mean now we're not we're like what 10 years they're senior some some young people that you work with so but I think our personalities are youthful mm-hmm. friendly and I think that's what kind of helps them feel comfortable talking to us about different things I know in my previous nine nine to five like I was uh facilitating a, a health curriculum and I know sometimes a lot of the young people that I work with they would like ask me after class like I have like this white thing in my underwear like what's that and they would talk to me like a sibling yeah and I yeah. feel like because of how I like talk and make jokes with them and like if they curse like it's not a big deal as long as it's like respectful or whatever have right. you like they're, they're comfortable to talk to us because we don't we don't really even offer like rules in our we call it community accountable agreements like yeah, that's right. that's what we call it so yeah. I think setting this space as like you come in here to like have fun and learn and walk away with something kind of helps them feel comfortable. What do you like? What's next for Kimberative? What do you guys see yourselves doing in the next like one, five, whatever years? Like, what's on the horizon? I see us having well, for starters, like all a lot of the all of our meetings honestly are virtual, right? And I think in the next five years or so, I'd like for us to have a office, yeah, yeah, yeah. a legit yeah. office where we where we and and us being in the same space that we can kind of do more work together. Because sometimes it could be a little challenging to do everything on Google, the docs, and talking and coordinating our schedules and having a workshop booked in, I don't know, New York City, and I live all the way in Philly. Like, it's always, sometimes it could be a bit of a challenge. But I think moving forward, like, us continue to grow and reach more people. I think that's pretty much our ultimate goal. Yeah, that's what I would. I would love a physical space. Yeah. I already have like my desk picked out. I already got the colors. I mean, we gotta go. We gotta stay on brand. But um, I already have that picked out. I think. Yeah, I mean, but to say we get a lot done. To like, I mean, yeah. I think there are people that reach out to us that have no idea that we live in two different like states. Yeah. Um, at one time I was like in DC and Kim was in Philly, and when I look back at those invoices, I was like, wow, we were like. Incomplete difference. Or the time when you were in Guyana. I was in Guyana. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We were like, man, I I think the only time I had good internet connection is when I was talking to Kim. Like, I feel like all the other times, like, oh, no, I don't have no service here. We, like, there's no power. There's a flood. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, and that's even, like, when we named Kimberdiff. Like, it was over G-Chat, like, when we found, like, how we were going to name this. So, 
I think yes, like having a having a space. One day being able to hire like other educators. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can't do the things and like create yeah. our own yeah. like training program, um, I think because it's it's interesting to also operate outside of the nonprofit um, industrial complex. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think that that's it's it's hard because we don't get like grant funding to do the work that we yeah. do. But there's also like the limitations that are placed on nonprofits on what they can say, what they can't, what they can use money right. for. Um, we don't have those limitations. And so I think that it allows us to be innovative and to grow and to think differently about how we imagine, like, sexuality and sexual health education to be. And, like, we actually can be real. Like, we can mm-hmm. actually be authentic because no one is like, well, the perimeter is for this and you can't buy... Like grant funding. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, you right. can't right. buy water yeah. bottles yeah. with this piece or, yeah. you know... Like, the like, person that checks me is her. Like, yeah, <laughs> I see her looking at me like this. It's like, oh, well, let me stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> so and I, I love that. I love that about our partnership because... Yeah. I, we just work so well together sometimes. Like, I, I feel like when we speak, you finish my sentences. Yeah. People often don't realize that we're two people when we, like, communicate. <laughs> <laughs> like, Kimberly is, like, two separate people. Um, I mean, we put the names together, so we yeah. have to be one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you guys imagine what it'll be like when you're in the same physical space? I mean, you are going to get so much. I mean, you're going to be unstoppable. Do you guys have any lingering questions? Yeah. Where can people find your work? Where can people find what you do? Log on to Kimberative.com, and that is K-I-M-B-R-I-T-I-V-E.com. We also have an Instagram page, which is at Kimberative also, right? Follow us. Follow us. Yeah. Um, Twitter, Twitter page. This is Kimberative underscore after the E. We have a Facebook page. Pretty social media savvy. So just awesome. follow us all awesome. over the place. But definitely yeah. if you're interested in having us for like a workshop or wanting to build us in, in partnership, definitely log on to our website or giving us an email at kimberative at gmail.com. Cool. Hell yeah. This was so awesome. fun, you guys. Yes. Thank you so much for coming by. Yes. Yay. It's lit. Oh, well, we've come to the end of another episode of Sexuality and next episode is the last episode of our season. I can't believe it's gone by this fast. We have had such a great time. Have you noticed how good these two episodes have sounded? Well, that's because we have somebody new on our team. We have a new producer, Alana. So thank you, Alana, for making us sound so awesome. You can rate us on iTunes and review us. You can subscribe to us, which you should already be. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Check out our website, sexualityand.com. Shoot us an email, sexualityand at gmail.com. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.